Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Just about all of us get a headache once in a while, and sometimes the headaches may be pretty painful. A bad headache makes us feel irritable, and it's hard to concentrate and function normally. But fortunately, headaches tend to be short-lived. Over-the-counter medication or other remedies typically work wonders in taking away headaches. But imagine an unrelenting, painful headache that lasts for years. You'd begin to think it would never go away. Our guests on this episode are Brent and Shauna Argyle, members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who live in Prosper, Texas. Several years ago, Brent was afflicted with an intense headache that persisted for days, weeks, months, and ultimately nearly six years. In this conversation, Brent and Shauna share their experiences in dealing with this headache and how a series of miracles eventually led to healing. The Argyles have lived in the Metroplex for more than 30 years, and they've raised five children with just one left at home. Professionally, Brent works in software sales, and Shauna is a licensed professional counselor. Brent and Shauna, thank you for being on this episode of Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices. We're happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Well, let's get started by getting to know each other a little bit. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from and what's your family like? Well, I originally grew up as a farm boy in Utah, and Shauna's a native Texan. We actually met while I was uh, a missionary here, and uh, we've been married for... Almost 32 years. Almost 32 years. We have five children. One still at home, who's going to be a junior this next year in, in, in high school. And we have two in college, yeah. two girls in college. Two married. Two married. Mm-hmm. We live in Prosper now, and we've been here for about 15 years. Shauna grew up in, in Carrollton area, and uh, we lived for 17 years before coming out here. So with the way the Metroplex has grown over the years, you have certainly seen and experienced a lot of that. Yes, we have. We have. Well, I appreciate you joining us for this episode. And what we wanted to talk about today is, Brent, I know a number of years ago, you started to have some headaches or a headache that continued for a long period of time. Tell us a little bit about that. When did that start and what was that like for you? So I think it was about 2006 and I woke up one morning just with one of the worst headaches I'd ever had and couldn't get it to go away, couldn't get it to go away all day. And finally, that evening, my wife took me to the emergency room and they ran some tests and stuff, but uh, I think gave me some morphine and sent me home. And I think I was back the next day or, uh, and it just went on. I just, uh, I had the same headache that just wouldn't go away. And it ended up lasting for about, not quite six years, but about five years, 10 months was how long it went on. And and there were lots of about uh, a month and a half, maybe two months into it, they they ran a test and realized that I was producing way too much spinal fluid. And so there was causing pressure in, in my head. And so I had a surgery that helped take some of the pressure off, which helped the headaches to where I could work, but it still didn't go away. And so we did lots of uh, different procedures and tests to get it fixed. And then we had an experimental surgery five years and 10 months later, and I woke up for the first time without a headache and it was gone and it was wonderful. 
Well, if we go back to where that first started, and I mean, I think for any of us, a headache going on for even a few hours would feel like a long time and some sort of trial. This must have felt different to you. If, if Shauna took you to the hospital, this was no ordinary headache. They always say that if you have a headache kind of come out of nowhere, like sudden onset, and if it feels like it's the worst headache you've ever had in your life, that you really should go to the emergency room because that could be indicative of an aneurysm. And so that is really what my thought was. He had, he had had little headaches, just like we all do most of the time, you know, associated with allergies or sinus pressure. But this one was really different. It was very debilitating. And so that's why we took him to the ER. And that's really kind of what they ruled out that first night. They, they wanted to make sure there was no aneurysm. And once they saw that there really wasn't one, they sent him home. I would describe it as brain freeze that doesn't go away. It was a very specific, it was, it was a unique headache, it, you know, where it feels like uh, kind of that spike is going right down through the top of your skull. Like I said, it was different than other headaches. Well, Shauna used the word debilitating, and it sounds from what you just described that it certainly would have been. What were you doing in your life at the time professionally and or in the church? And how did that impact what you were trying to do day to day? I was working in sales for a software company, and they were great and very, very patient with me. I was also serving as the bishop at the time in our ward in, in Carrollton, and we did have a lot of support and, and help from the ward. And we had people coming up to the hospital all the time because I was in and out of the hospital a lot the first six months. They couldn't seem to get it under control, the pain. And so I was on IV drips and all those kind of things uh, for, with heavy pain medicine uh, off and on for the first six months, pretty regularly. So not only was it debilitating, but that must have been really scary. Well, at that point, he was sort of out of it. And they were really telling me, like, he's got a brain tumor. He has all the markers for brain tumor, but it's just somewhere in his head where we can't see it. That's really what the neurologists were saying at the time. They used to call it pseudotumor cerebri, which means fake tumor of the head. They really try not to use that term anymore. They call it idiopathic intracranial hypertension, which really just means extra pressure and fluid in the brain. And their idiopathic really means we're not really sure why. Do you have any idea how common this occurrence is? So it is somewhat common for obese women in their childbearing years. So <laughs> I, I was classified as an obese woman in my childbearing years. <laughs> Well, and it was interesting because we spent all those months in the hospital that summer and literally like our ward was fantastic. They just took our kids so that I could be at the hospital with him because you, as you can imagine, he was just out of it. You know, they were really kind of trying to keep him so sedated to keep him comfortable that he wasn't really able to ask the doctors a lot of questions or, you know, get results back from lab work. He, he really just kind of slept. So I really felt like I had to kind of be there throughout the day. And I would sit there with my laptop in that hospital room, just researching, 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 trying to find some answers. And I actually remembered a fifth grade teacher of one of our sons had had something similar. So I reached out to her and asked her what her situation was. And she told me what it was. And so then I started kind of studying that. And I distinctly remember asking one of the neurologists 
at the hospital where he was at, could this be pseudotumor cerebri? And he laughed at me mm. and he said, oh, Miss Argyle, that he's the wrong demographic for that disorder. But several months later, we would kind of find the right group that specialized in this area. And that was indeed what he was diagnosed with. I would imagine as scary as, say, a brain tumor diagnosis would be, it's got to be very disconcerting to go any length of time and doctors and specialists not knowing what that is. And so how interesting, Shauna, that you had a direct hand in researching and even suggesting something that as improbable as it sounded, ended up putting you on the right track. And that little teacher of our son turned out to be a miracle in other ways too, because we actually ran into her. We kept in touch with her, even though we moved out of that area. But as he had the surgery and was really cured by that, he was the third person in the whole world to ever have that surgery. And when he came out of that and had so much relief, she had been wrestling with her headache much longer and had had lots of kind of experimental surgeries that really had not provided much, you know, relief to her. I reached back out to Lisa and said, you need to start seeing these different doctors that Brent see. Yeah. So it was a miracle that we, we had known her and that she had taught our son because she actually connected us to a doctor that would actually do the surgery because we had a doctor, a specialist that suggested this new process. This is again, five years down the road, right? Five years plus into it. And he said, There's, they're doing this uh, experimental thing for people who are not part of the demographic, not the normal demographic. That are outside of this. that. Yeah. yeah. That are, that are men. They're all, they were all over six feet two and had had a headache for one headache for an extended period of years. And so we sent our, our our MRI results and everything to that group in, in Arizona to get approved for it. And they denied me. They said that I was not a good enough case for them. But that teacher, she had had some experimental surgeries done by this surgeon. And she was the one that kind of put us in touch with him who did the surgery on me that fixed the headache completely. So that was one of the incredible miracles. Wow. It truly is. And well, what was the nature of that surgery? What, what was it about that that put a stop to this pressure? I, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it was basically a styloid process, which is a piece of bone that they shaved off in my skull. The theory behind it was that that bone that was protruding was actually adding pressure to my blood circulation. And so I was getting extra blood pressure in my brain, which was causing the headaches and so they would shave that off and on my jugular vein, it would open it more to where I would have better flow. That was the theory behind it. They've, they've since disproven the theory behind that, but for whatever reason, it was still successful and it's been very successful. I think they have over a 70% success rate in doing it. So uh, for people like me with that condition. Well, and it's kind of interesting too, when we were, when we were trying to get a surgeon here in Dallas, you know, we... We kind of had a lot of surgeons look at, because it was a new surgery, and say, that's not going to work. A does not equal B. That's not going to make any difference. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of liability involved in going into somebody's head and shaving bones down, right? Sure. So it was really kind of a miracle that we found a doctor, and he, he was actually an ear, nose, and throat surgeon that yeah. kind of had found a niche where he would remove tumors in brains. 
but so he was, he said he was very comfortable in that part of the head, but it was kind of hard to find a doctor that was willing to do the surgery. Even once they knew what they needed to do. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's one thing to look back and say, well, this went on for five years and 10 months, but to put myself back in your shoes during that time, you had no idea how long this was going to last or if there would ever be an end to it. That alone would have to have been just very taxing. You know, that's another one that you struggle with. You know, when you talk about people dealing with chronic pain, there's lots of things that, that are hard about that. One is just, it becomes consuming. Um, That's what everybody asks about is how you're doing. You know, how are you feeling? What's the latest? Um, All those kind of things. So it just becomes your whole life becomes centered around. I'm a guy with a headache, right? That that's, that's who I am now. That's my identity. And that, that's a unique thing to, to go through and to realize that, Hey, you know, life goes on and there's other things happening. And I have to tell you, I'm grouchy when I'm in pain. (laughs) And we had a brand new baby. Brady, our youngest, was one year old when this was going on. And he, at the time, was one of the greatest miracles in, in that whole trial um, because he was, he was just like comic relief through the whole thing. Just these little moments of just there's so much drama and all this stuff going on. And yet, as, as a baby, he was just funny and cute and whatever. And it just lightened everything. And, and so it was incredible to just see how that was given to us at a time when it seemed like the world was so dark. Now, Shauna, during these years, certainly as Brent suffering his way through it, I'm sure you were feeling a lot of added pressure of a different sort and responsibility and with the young children and all of that. What was that like for you? It was really challenging because he would, bless his heart, he was just determined to work as long as he could, but we both sort of would look at each other at the end of every day and think, obviously at some point you're going to end up on long-term disability. So, you know, we got to start formulating a plan. It was obviously a physical trial for him, but it was really an emotional trial for all of us. It was a financial hardship. We went through a lot of savings, paying for different medications that were off-label use, for tests that the insurance said, well, we've already run that test, seeing specialists that weren't in our network. It was really a challenge in a lot of ways. Brent would work all day and then he would come home and he would really, the nature of the shunt that they put in, he would really need to lay down as soon as he ate dinner and got home, which was hard when you're a bishop, right? There wasn't a lot of like playing outside with kids. He just never felt good enough to do that. And so it was... And sometimes it's not necessarily the trial itself that can wear you down. It's the duration of the trial that it just seems like it's relentless and it just will not ever end. But I noticed as a married couple that on the days where I was feeling really tired and weak and depleted, he would kind of take the role of being the one that would buoy me up and have the great attitude and and try to infuse hope into the situation. And then on the days when he was really down and really struggling, you know, I would sort of fill that role for him. So, you know, we made it through successfully because we were together. We were shoulder to shoulder on it. 
once you had that surgery, Brent, and woke up and that headache was gone, that must have just been the most amazing feeling at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I think those were his first words when he came out of anesthesia was, my headache's gone. Yeah. And it was just remarkable. And and your body does weird things when, when you're in chronic pain. Like it got to where like my nerves were doing weird things. Like the even though I didn't have a rash or anything, the very top of my head got so sensitive you couldn't touch it. It was like it was raw. It's just your body is not used to, I, I think, your nerves and things being in pain all the time. And so it's, it starts to do weird things. But that went away. And like there's just all these things that kind of changed with it. And yes, I was very, very grateful to wake up without a headache. And I would think you'd think, well, is tomorrow still going to be headache free? And what about the next day? And what about next week and next month? Well, and he was on so much pain medication that it was quite a process for him to wean off of that. They wanted him to be very careful and very deliberate about how he went about getting off the medication because they told him, what did doctor? He said, because over six years you build up tolerance to all that stuff. And so he said, if you stop tomorrow, cold turkey, you'll have a heart attack. Mm. So don't stop. <laughs> He's like, you've got to wean off. They actually wanted me to wean off for six months mm. on, on different things. And uh, I wasn't going to do that. I and did. with that, it, like <laughs> you kind of get flu like symptoms. So for six months, he kind of felt like he had the flu, which was horrible. Mm. Yeah. But I, I stopped taking medicine yeah. after about two and a half months. I was done. I was, I, I weaned off in about two and a half and just said, I'm done doing that medicine. And so anyway, um, but yes, but then for another still three months, I felt like I had the flu. But the headache was gone. But the headache, the headache was gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you think back on that time, and I'm sure there's a lot of things you learned and experienced. Is there anything that sticks out as something meaningful that you learned from this whole experience? There's a lot, actually. I remember being in the hospital hooked up to, you know, IV drugs, and yet walking down and going to the chapel, you know, there's a Bible there and, and opening it up and and, and reading in in. I think it's First Corinthians 12, where he talks about, Peter's talking about the thorn that he's had to deal with. And, and when we're weak, we can, we can be strong. And, and that was so powerful to me at the time to think, if I humble myself and learn some things through this, then I can become stronger as I go through. Now, that being said, I don't think I did a very good job of that. I feel like there was a lot of times where I was very weak in the process and I was ready to give up and just wanted it to be over and wanted it to end. And, and I was probably somewhat ashamed of that. And and I was ashamed of, of even thinking of my savior and his atonement. And, and I had to get a deeper understanding of that because I, you know, I thought, okay, his went on for three days. You know, yes, it was, his pain was way more than mine, but it was over in three days. And, and then when I understood and studied the atonement more that it was an infinite atonement and he felt all of it, you know, I was able to learn more from that. So there's definitely those experiences that I went through that really helped me gain perspective and, and draw closer to my Savior as, as I went through it. What about you, Sean? Are there any most meaningful things you felt like you learned through these trials? I think there's so many, but I 
I remember really feeling sad just for my kids that during that really almost six years, they didn't really have the father that I knew that he was because he just wasn't able to do it. He just didn't have it to give. But I remember distinctly after Brent was feeling better, one day kind of, I think I was, you know, praying in my car, which is when where a lot of moms pray and just asking Emily Father to help me see what were some of the good things that came from this particular trial. And I distinctly remember just having the thought that my older children that were at the time they were 11 and 12 years old, that they were going to come out of this with a real just respect and reverence for their father because they had seen him getting up and going to work every day when it was just so, so hard for them. And, you know, his earning potential was impacted somewhat just when you're a salesman and you travel and you're sick like that, you just, you're limited, right? Those kids really did look to every dollar that he would bring into our home with respect. And those two kids now today are 25 and 26. And I feel like I see that in them as adults, that they are just very good with money and they both have great, great love for their father because of what the other ones are great kids too. They just were too young to really be able to observe that. I think it would be a value too for Brent to share just because there's so many people that can relate to this whole idea of chronic pain and, you know, how do you get through each day? You might kind of share your experience about like looking for the tender mercies. Again, one of those days I was probably having a pity party for myself. Of just I, I was having a really hard time. Again, it, as I as I mentioned before, it becomes consuming, and and you think so much about it. And and Shauna said you need to pay attention. And she brought me a little gratitude journal and said you need to pay attention because there's miracles going on all the time, and you're missing them. You're just missing all the stuff that's happening in our lives because you're so kind of wallowed in in this trial that you're dealing with. And that was such an eye opener for me, just thinking every day of what had happened and seeing that even though the trial hadn't been taken away at the time, there were so many compensating little blessings that were happening that were just incredible. Um, Like I said, my, my, my son was one of them, just friends and family, people that gave us money, people that uh, just dropped off food. I remember um, he was a bishop in a ward that really had a lot of needs. And he would, on Thursday nights, they would meet at our house and then they would go do visits. The ward council would. And every single night that he would come home and he just was in so much pain that he really couldn't go back out. It was interesting to me that every single time that would be the case, which it wasn't every week, but it was, you know, a few times. The, the appointments didn't work out where he didn't really need to go out after all. Just little things like that were were there, really impactful. Yeah, there were lots and lots of tender mercies throughout the whole thing. And it's it's easy to do to get caught up in the minutia of the trial, right? That just the stuff that's going on. And and I think as, as I experienced that, I've seen that with others and other trials that we've been through, that there's just, there's always compensating factors and blessings that the Lord gives us as we're going through those.
And what a great idea to really focus on the positives, Shauna. I think that really made a difference. And so, Brent, did you record those in a gratitude journal? I did. I did. Yeah. I don't keep it up today. I should, but but, but I kind of stopped it after the, after the time. But but yes, I was. I was writing them down every day. Well, from this trial that you guys experienced over all of those years, how are you different now or how have you been different since that time because of those experiences that you had during those five years and 10 months? I would say I have a lot more empathy for others that are going through major trials. And, and there are a lot of people that have a lot worse trials to go through than I ever did, you know, and I look at them and go, all I had was a headache, you know, uh, yes, it was uncomfortable and it was not a lot of fun, but it was a headache. And there are people that deal with so much worse in, in their lives. And so I'm, I, I have so much more empathy for them. I also feel like what has changed in me is a relationship with my savior for understanding the pain that he went through and, and, and how grateful I, I am for him and, and what he did so that he could understand and, and help lift when, when we need uh, someone to lift us. I think for me, you know, we saw tremendous service. Our ward was phenomenal during that period of time. It was really hard for us to move, even though we felt very strongly prompted after he'd been in the, had the headache for about a year when we felt a really strong prompting to move. And it was a super hard move for us because we loved that ward so much. I remember staying at the hospital around the clock. And one night, I mean, this is probably TMI, but I remember like in the middle of the night realizing I had to go home and do laundry at two o'clock in the morning because I had no clean underwear. He was asleep for the night. I knew no doctors were going to be coming in in the middle of the night. So I went home, prepared for the idea that I was going to have to do laundry for the next hour or two. Somebody had gotten into my house, and I still to this day don't know who it was. I have my suspicions. <laughs> but somebody had done all of my laundry in the house and folded it and just laid it on top of my washer and dryer so that I would see that it was done. And I just remember being so grateful because if they had asked me to do that, like if they had said, Shauna, what can we do to help you? I would have told them, oh, no, we're fine, you know, but they just decided to go in and see where they were needed. And I still to this day remember falling to my knees. I was so tired and grateful that I could just go upstairs and go to bed. So I think that's one of the ways that it's changed me is I'm I'm a person now where I don't ask for permission to help. I just kind of try to see a need and fill it. But I think also just again, with what Brent was saying, you know, I am a therapist now, a licensed professional counselor. I'm not really sure that I would be if I had not gone through this ordeal, because I recognize that just having someone walk with you through these really hard trials in life is hugely helpful. And so that's kind of when all this came about was, you know, after he got better, I decided, well, we went through a lot of savings. I probably should try to find a way to maybe supplement his income and build that savings back up. So I went back to school and I feel like, you know, I work with people who have chronic pain in my practice now sometimes, and I'm, I'm not sure I would be doing that if it weren't for this trial. 
interesting how as we go throughout our lives and the Lord gives us experiences and opportunities to learn new things and how it really does shape us and point us even in directions we may not have expected to go into. Can I share one other thing? I think it changed me that I have empathy for people that deal with drug addiction too. There was something that happened kind of early on when I was I was in the hospital and I, I was probably barely conscious and and I had our elders quorum president at the time come in my room and he said, I need to give you a blessing. And he was a very dear friend also. Yes. And I said, okay. And um, he gave me a blessing. And then he came back the next day and I asked him, what prompted you to say the words that you say? And I, and I gave him a very specific uh, phrase that he said, and, and I'm not going to repeat that, but he said, I didn't say that. But it's what I heard. Hmm. And it was about the evil spirits and that I needed protection from that. And I feel like through all of that and being on pain, heavy painkillers and stuff all the way through, I couldn't wait to get off it. Like I, it, was, it was never a, a temptation or a challenge or whatever for me to, to want to continue it or whatever. It was just I could not wait to get off. And I think so much of it had to do with that specific blessing and what I heard in that blessing to help me it's, through it's, that. It's really miraculous that he was healed, but maybe even a greater miracle is that he never developed an addiction, a dependency. I mean, I remember one weekend his pain was so bad and he had run out of his pain medication. So we took him to the ER and when you go in, you know, you have to list all the things that you're on and your dosage. And I remember the doctor looking at me and saying, how is he walking around with this much drug in his body? Because there was just so much. So sometimes I feel like that's an even bigger miracle that he never developed a dependency or an addiction. He had to have it to function because he was in so much pain, but he couldn't wait to get off of it. He hated taking it. Wow, that is a blessing. And it does give you that empathy because a lot of people yeah. do struggle with that. Yeah. And you can feel that your body craves that, right? That you can feel that you're, that there's what, I mean, you have those, like I said, the flu as you're getting all that stuff out of, out of your body. And you, and you think to yourself, well, I could take some medicine. I would feel better. Right. But I just could not wait to get off of it and just never feel it, take that again. And, and I'm so gun shy to take any medicine now. It just, I mean, other than Excedrin or Tylenol, I, I'm just like, I'm not taking anything. So don't ever want to feel that again. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else you'd like to share or anything we've missed that would be a, an interesting part of the story? I just think as our marriage relationship it, it really, I mean, I would never want him to go through that kind of pain again. So, you know, let that be understood. But I just think one of the blessings also for me would be that it showed me what I'm capable of, but it more importantly showed me like, man, you are married to a really amazing man that, I mean, he talks like he was really grumpy. I mean, he really weathered this trial very, very well. He says that, but none of us in his family feel that way about him. He really weathered it well. And I think, you know, I'm grateful for sort of this, the front seat that I had to all this because it showed me 
what an amazing choice and a mate that I have been given. So that I think, you know, is a blessing that comes from it too. I would say ditto on that. Okay. (laughs) It sounds like you had a great caretaker there, Brent. Yes, I did. And that is something that I guess for other people that are going through, especially medical things, you need to have an advocate. You need to have somebody on your side that's helping you because a lot of times you're in so much pain, you don't care what the doctor's giving you or, or what they're saying or whatever. You just want it to stop and having someone ask questions and be in your corner and go, okay, so why are we doing this? Because there is a lot of that trial by drug and stuff like that. Okay, let's see if this works or whatever. So having an advocate sitting there with you is huge. And it, it, I would I would tell everybody to do that that's going through that kind of trial. I, I remember one day coming home from the hospital and I just felt so conflicted too. This was another thing that I really appreciated. Back then we called them home teachers and visiting teachers. I remember being so conflicted. Should I be home with my kids trying to keep a sense of normalcy? Or should I be with Brent in the hospital? And I remember I really almost like was just so tired. I could not decide where I should be. And I remember my home teacher's wife, who had been constantly bringing food in and helping me. She was on the phone with me and she said, Shauna, right now your place is next to your husband. You need to be there in the hospital asking questions. The ward will take care of your children. They're having fun. They're being really well cared for. Just, you know, be with him. And that was really helpful too, just having somebody kind of from the outside looking in saying, you need to be at the hospital and don't feel guilty about that. We had some good ministers. We did. (laughs) Well, it certainly sounds like it. What a blessing to come through it the way that you did and the things that you've learned And I appreciate you sharing these things with us on this episode of our podcast. Thank you very much for sharing that. We're happy to. I hope it helps someone else. I'm sure it will. Our guests on this episode of Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices have been Brent and Shauna Argyle. In the April 2021 General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, quote, Miracles, signs, and wonders abound among followers of Jesus Christ today, in your lives and in mine. Miracles are divine acts, manifestations, and expressions of God's limitless power, and an affirmation that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, end quote. Certainly, the Argyle family recognizes Brent's healing as a great miracle, or the result of a series of miracles. As we think about what we've heard on this episode— Let's remember that we all experience miracles. We just need to recognize them when they occur. Elder Rasband reminded us that the magnitude does not distinguish a miracle, only that it came from God. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.